Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm excited about this opportunity to share with you this morning and uh, just take this time to share God's Word. It's the first time we've been here about 10 years, and it's the first time I've been able to preach in the morning service. Now, maybe there's a reason for that. I, uh, in Sunday school, Justin was speaking. I think about he did a great job. He is eloquent. And Jeff, a couple weeks ago, preached. And he, he's so smooth. His voice is so smooth and easy speaking. And how many of you have ever spoken either on audio or video and you've heard your voice afterwards? <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. But hopefully the Lord will take this and, and use it for his glory as we look at this. And um, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we come to you and we give you praise and, and glory for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word, which reveals truth and light. And Father, in this time, we ask that you, most of all, would be glorified. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 9, um, verses 1 and 2, and then 6 and 7, where I'll mainly focus, and I will explain and give a little context in a moment, but let's read this together. It says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first light, first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And then down to verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now I know we often hear this passage at Christmas time. Uh, for unto us a child is born. It's a, a Christmas message. Well, it's a little early this time of year, but um, as we look at this passage, I, hopefully you'll be able to draw you in and show you some context around it so that maybe at Christmas when we see this passage that you will understand it a little more and what uh, Isaiah is teaching and what he is prophesying. Our friend Michael Scott has a book called, uh, He Opened the Book, He Closed the Book. And in it he calls Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, a mini-Bible because of the way the Isaiah pro highlights prophecy about Jesus Christ and how he brings the truths of what Jesus would be and who he was to the forefront. Others have said the prophet Isaiah is a, a prophet of the gospel of the Old Testament. And uh, again, this morning, maybe we'll get a little glimpse of that. Now, I don't want to go back all the way to Genesis, but I want to give you just a little background for your context here. You remember uh, when the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt. They were in uh, Egypt for about 400 years, and then God rose up 
Moses and he brought them out of Egypt. And then because of disobedience, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally they went in and they conquered the land. And then they had a period of judges where they had judges that would call them back to God when they would wander away. And then they looked around to the other kingdoms around them and the people said, we want kings. And so God brought in Saul and then David and then Solomon and they had their kings. Well, after Solomon, Solomon's son was very unwise. He, he took the counsel of young inexperienced men afterwards instead of the older, wiser men. And he divided the kingdom. And so you had, had 10 northern tribes called the nation of Israel. And you had the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, called the nation of Judah in the south. And so that's where we are today with this passage. They're in the divided kingdom. And they are being confronted by world powers. Now, so you understand, and I don't want to belabor the point, but think about it for a while. Sometimes we look at our passages, we read these passages, and and we think they're stories. But these were real events. You think about people around you, your families, your loved ones, the ones you care about most. That's what Israel was facing. They were in a time where they were afraid. They weren't sure what to do because this nation, this empire of Assyria was rising up. Now, let me just read a little brief excerpt from a history and... um, Make a little plug here. This is uh, called The History of the Ancient World by Susan Wise Bauer. And uh, she has a few history books like this. And I, I like her because she's very straightforward and simple, easy to read. But she's very detailed. But guess what? Even before it was popular, her parents homeschooled her. And now she has grown up. She has learned so much. She's now a professor at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. And so this is one of her histories. She writes a paragraph about one of the Assyrian kings and gives a representation of what these kings were like. Ashurbanipal's reputation. There, uh, in Ashurbanipal, there appeared full-blown the delight and cruelty which tagged at the heels of almost every Assyrian king who followed. And this is in quote, I put up a pillar at the city gate, Ashurbanipal explains, recording his dealings with the city which had revolted and killed its Assyrian-appointed governors. I skinned the chiefs who revolted against me and covered the pillar with their skins. I I walled up the others in the middle of the pillar itself, and some of them I impaled on stakes and arranged them in walls about with their skins. Inside the city, I skinned many more and covered their walls with their skins. As for the royal officials, I cut off their members. He varied this at other times, making heaps of cut-off noses and ears and, and making others blind, tying heads together on vines and draping them through his gardens. I made a pillar of one of living, a nasty Assyrian invention of taking living prisoners, laying them on top of one another, And covered them in plaster to make a column. I cut off their ears, their fingers, and many others I blinded. Even their young men and maidens I burned in the fire. 
This is one of the Assyrian kings and representative of many of those Assyrian kings. And this is the kingdom that is coming against Israel at this time. As Isaiah prophesies, he tells through chapter 7 through 12 of promises and curses that are coming. The promises, if they are obedient to God. The curses, if they are disobedient. You see, the problem was when you had the divided kingdom, most of the northern kingdom, the kings were evil. They did not follow God's word. They turned away from God. They rejected him, and they went their own way. They went into pagan worship. They were looking uh, to fortune tellers and uh, people who contacted familiar spirits to speak to them. It's a rejection of God's word and of God himself. So this is the the context of what uh, Isaiah is speaking in. And and the people of Israel were afraid for their families. They're afraid for what they were facing. And so Isaiah is prophesying to them during this very dark period. During this time when Assyria was putting its eye toward Israel. And most of this is speaking to the northern tribes, but he also brings in Judah because they were part of it. At the end of chapter 8, he's talking about following. He's giving them one last draw to come back, to to return to the Lord. They had had rejected, they had walked away, and he's pleading, he's saying, if you will turn to me. But then at the last... In verses 21, 22, he says, And they shall pass through it hardly, bestead and hungry. It shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves, curse their king and their God, and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, trouble and darkness, dimness and anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So because of their rejection, because of this coming upon them, because they continued to refuse to turn back to God, darkness was coming upon them. But then verse 1, he says, Nevertheless, that dimness shall not be such as a time. And he mentions a couple instances. And then verse 2, he says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them A light has shined. Isaiah, God's young prophet here, again, is giving them hope. He's giving them a sign that God has not turned away from them, even though they have turned from God. Now, you may, in your reading of the Bible, in your times, you may remember the king Ahab. Who remembers who Ahab's wife was, the queen? Jezebel. Not a nice lady at all. And she brought all her Phoenician gods, her uh, gods that were against Jehovah, and brought them into Israel. And Ahab himself was kind of a weak man. And Jezebel ran things. And Ahab was typical of the kings of northern Israel. They had false prophets he went to. They had other gods. They had gone to pagan worship. They were rejected. And that's why the darkness was there. 
But it's very sobering as we read this message, as you would read deeper if we had the time, that, again, if you think if America was being attacked and our families were in danger, that's what they're feeling. But yet in their sin, in their rebellion, Israel continues to to turn away from God. What is uh, the darkness that we see? Well, Assyria is the physical representation of it, the attacking force, the, the scaring of the people by their military. But there's also a spiritual realm. As you go back to uh, Genesis 1, darkness is actually mentioned before light. Darkness was over the face of the deep. But then what does it say? It says, God separated. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he divided the light from the darkness. He never says that darkness is good. He says, the light is good. He saw that it was good. So darkness in scripture often represents spiritual darkness, spiritual rebellion, spiritual depravity. And that's where Israel was. They're in the midst of this. They have a clear call from Isaiah and other prophets to turn back to him, but yet they continue to reject and turn to the false prophets. And at one point, when Judah is later drawn in, the the southern kingdom of Judah, the king Jehoshaphat goes up because Ahab wants to make an alliance with him to stand against Assyria. And he goes to them so that they may confer together. And Jehoshaphat, or excuse me, uh, King Ahab brings in these false prophets of Baal. And they say, oh, yes, king, if you go out in the battle and go against Assyria, you will win. Things will be great. You'll be happy and you'll have a great kingdom. And then Jehoshaphat, still having a measure of Jehovah in him, a measure of God in his uh, kingdom, says, is there yet a, a prophet of Jehovah that we can listen to? And King Ahab, in his usual style, and all I imagine is a a whiny king because he's got this wife who lords it over him. And in in, uh, 2 Kings, he says, Jehoshaphat says, is there any prophet prophet of Jehovah? King Ahab, yeah, there's just one left. But he never has anything good to say about me. And he says, well, let's hear what he says. And one of the counselors, before he goes into the, into the king's presence, says, you be sure to tell the king something good. And so I don't know. The prophet's name was Micaiah. And I don't know if it was because he was a little weak or because he was used to King Ahab. He goes in and says, yeah, you go out to battle. You'll have great success and you'll win the battle and win the day. And... King Ahab is wise enough, I guess, that he says, tell me what you really think, what you really see. And Micaiah says, okay, you go out to battle, you'll be wiped out, and you will die. See, he never says anything good about me. (laughs) But that was Ahab. He was so into the rejection of Jehovah and into his false prophets. All he wanted to hear was the good news. He wanted to hear good words about himself. 
And sometimes we do that. We get trapped where all we want to hear is good things, a pat on the back and, and the blessings and that. But this world is a dark place. There's many things going on around us that is dark. And it, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life or enjoy our families. Man, this world is dark. We read about the Assyrian kings and the empires, and that wasn't uncommon in that day. It goes on. But back to the passage. In this darkness, in this time, Isaiah says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the shadow, or excuse me, in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. And then he goes on to, for unto us a child is born. You know, even in the midst of evil Israel, they had rejected God. Even in the midst, there were individuals who still trusted in the Lord, who walked after him. And Isaiah is giving them a promise that if you will trust, God will help you. If you trust, he will individually help you do you remember what it says about abraham in genesis and then again in hebrews god shared his word with abraham and it says that god credited him as being righteous and so isaiah in the same way is giving a promise to these people who are facing this trouble and saying, if you reach out, even if you're surrounded by darkness and, and trouble, if you reach out to God, he will help you. It's a consolation. Even though we've looked at it many times in the past, let's look at verses 6 and 7. When I read those verses, and maybe you do the same thing, uh, you know, you think of the Hallelujah Chorus, and you know, maybe get Maureen and, and the choir up and, and sing that. And... Uh, Hear those words being shouted out that are so um, astounding. But just briefly here this morning, in a small way, a child is born. Very natural. A man is born. It's a natural thing that takes place in this world. And a son is given. Remember John 3.16. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. You see, a child is born represents a, a man. And a son is given represents God and deity. You have the God-man that is being promised. The one that would come. And of course, later Israel distorted this to mean a conqueror that would take over and rescue them from all their enemies. But Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah. The one who would rescue the world. A child is born and a son is given. Wonderful. As God, he's inexpressible, isn't he? As deity, as God in the flesh. Who can describe that? Emmanuel, God with us. Wonderful. Counselor. He reveals God's will. He reveals God's truth to those who will listen. Mighty God, when I read this, I think about Job's interchange with God. And, and at one point when Job is getting frustrated at the end and, and he questions God and God says, were you there 
when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I put the stars into the sky? Mighty God, the one who is the creator, the sustainer, and the savior and the Lord of all. That's who Isaiah is talking about. In the midst of that darkness that Israel was seeing, that that trouble that was facing them, Isaiah has this message of God himself will come and rescue. Everlasting Father. You know, for a number of years, this always confused me because it was, wait a minute, Jesus, the Son, is not the Father. But the Son is uh, the one in whom all time exists and where he's the center of all ages. So he's the father of everlasting. He's the the father of time, if you will. Young people, I don't know, in public school, if you, uh, they do this yet um, and stuff, but they've tried to change some of the dating to where, you know, for years we had, you know, 700 B.C. and and 700 A.D. uh, before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. Now they've changed it to BCE, before Common Era, and um, Common Era, CE. So when you see that, it's the same dating, it's just changing the words a bit. But you know what? Jesus' birth is still the center of that timeline. He's the focus. And that's what Isaiah is saying here, that he is the Son, the man-God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, and we think of that scene of the um, angels appearing before the shepherds and announcing Jesus' birth and peace on earth. Peace on earth. He'll be the Prince of Peace. He would have been, but Israel rejected him at the time, but to our benefit. Eventually, he will be set up as Prince of Peace. In verse 7, I want to call your attention as he goes on, talks about the the millennial kingdom, the the, uh, kingdom set up for Israel. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon the kingdom, and to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice, and henceforth, even forever. But notice that last line, the zeal of the Lord will perform, the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's done. When God declares, and we've heard pastor preaching in Zechariah about the prophecy, when God declares that something will happen, it's as good as done. None of us can say that. We might say, I want to, or I, I will do this. But when God says it, it will take place. So as you look at this and, and you continue to see that Isaiah is preaching to this people who in reality substituted. And here's one of the ones things I, I didn't mention. They were trying to get alliances around them. Israel was going to Judah and to Syria, not us, Syria, but Syria, Damascus. And they were trying to form these alliances to stand up against Assyria. You know, those alliances were a rejection of God and trust in him. They searched spiritism, those who went into familiar spirits and 
it, it's funny because Isaiah uses a word uh, in um, one of the latter verses, uh, 19, chapter 8, verse 19. He used those that peep. And sometimes at the night we go out and we hear about peepers and those who, those little noises that we hear. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about fortune tellers, those who use their uh, um, dice or, or straws and other things to see or, so to speak, see the future. It's a rejection of God's word from his prophets and from God's written word. Sometimes in our lives, where do you go when you're facing danger? Who do you rely upon? Do you go to the Lord? Do you go to his word? Do you go to him in prayer? Do you seek godly counsel? Or do you think, I can tough it out. I can do it. I'll go to my friends, which sometimes that's good because if they're godly friends, they can give you godly counsel. But who do you rely upon? Who do you trust in? So, and I don't want to get very technical here or even very simplistic, but what is the darkness? Now, when I was young, darkness to me, when I was five, six, seven, my my dad's parents lived in northern British Columbia. And uh, they lived out in the bush, right at the end of the bush, or we may call the woods. And for me, that was frightening. I loved them. I loved to visit them. But at nighttime, you get up and you have to use the washroom, and that was horrifying. What's so horrifying about getting up and going down the hallway to the bathroom? They didn't have a bathroom. They had an outhouse. <laughs> the five, six, seven-year-old boy I had to get up, go out in the darkness, and who knows what's out there. And then you had to go to the outhouse, and that was scarier than ever because you might fall in. <laughs> and it was dark. I don't know about you, my daughter Annika has very good eyesight and she can see a lot of things in the dark. I'm not blessed that way. I, I have a hard time seeing things in the dark. Uh, even at night on a clear sky, I can't see the stars. And so when it's dark out for me, it's dark. Generally speaking, darkness is an absence of light. We talked about Genesis 1, but recognize that the Bible, when it talks about darkness, talks about spiritual darkness too. And you see, the thing that prophet Isaiah said to Israel was that darkness that they were facing. Yes, Assyria was a physical manifestation of that darkness, but that darkness they faced was actually spiritual. It was internal. Because they had rejected God. They had rejected his word. They had rejected his way. And they were following after a false way. Most people, if you talk to them, if you have a friend or a loved one who's going through a very troubled time and, and they, they don't see light at the end of the tunnel, what do we say? Oh, they're in a dark place. So we understand darkness that may not be physical. 
The opposite of this is the light of God and his word and his way. And that's what Isaiah is teaching about specifically or generally about the light of God, but specifically about the Messiah that would come, the one who would bring the light to shine in the darkness. What does light do? Well, some of the qualities are it disperses darkness. It reveals, physically it reveals darkness. I'm not going to do it, but if we were in here, there's no windows in here. If we'd turn out all the lights, it would be pretty dark in here. I would have a hard time. And you turn on the light and it reveals what's here. Light also, spiritually speaking, reveals deeds and intents. You know, the Bible tells us that men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Men love darkness, and that means men and women, because their deeds are evil. So light disperses darkness. This light that shines in the darkness that Isaiah is talking about, again, Jesus would disperse the darkness. But it would also reveal the deeds and intents of our hearts. He would. His word would. But light also gives hope. Think of the last few days we've been reading reports about uh, the Hurricane Dorian and how it was heading towards Florida, devastated the Bahamas, and now it's heading up the coast and And uh, you think about all that's taking place there. And when you're in the midst of that, when you're facing that, and and when I was younger, I was in a hurricane. I was in Jamaica one time when a hurricane hit. And and it's not fun. You're not sure what's going to happen. Am I going to live through it? Is my house going to survive? Or is my family going to survive? But think about after it passes. Maybe more of us are familiar with tornadoes. And you see the dark skies and you hear the sirens and and then what happens maybe the next day? The clouds break and the sun comes up. What does light do? It gives hope that there's another day. There's a tomorrow. And so we continue on. And so Isaiah is preaching to the people who will listen that light is shining in the darkness. And that a child would be born and a son would be given. So how is Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled? Well, go with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. And as you're turning so I can set the context here a little bit. Is just as we talk about Assyria and all that was going on around Israel was dark and a troubled time. We had the Roman Empire at the time John wrote this during Jesus' day and John's day. The Roman Empire was in charge and it was difficult. There was a little measure of freedom, but they were brutal too. You think about crucifixion, what a horrible, uh, extreme means of torture that was. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same, speaking of the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So we turn from Word to Him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He, speaking of John, was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So John, right away, he, he talks about this word, and, and this word comes into the world, and he's the light of the world. And so paralleling Isaiah, he's saying this is the light that was promised. You remember... Uh, John is the witness to this light. You remember the story of John's birth? His parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were older, just like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And Zacharias performed duties in the temple, and and he goes into the temple one day, and an angel appears to him and says, you will have a son. And he explains to him, and and Zacharias Zacharias doesn't believe him. And so the angel says, because you would not believe me who stands before the Lord, you will not speak until these things be accomplished. And so Zacharias comes out and he can't speak. He, he mutters and he asks for things to write down so he can explain what's going on. And just like when Abraham and Sarah were told, Sarah laughed because she couldn't believe that she could have a child in old age. Zacharias didn't believe this message that this could happen. But sure enough, Elizabeth becomes pregnant and and she uh, goes through these months. And it comes to the time when John is born that everyone's talking about, what what are you going to name him? And everyone's thinking about, you know, Zacharias or a grandfather's name. And Elizabeth says his name is John. Well, there's nobody in the family by the name of John. And they all start turning to Zacharias and say, say, what is his name to be? And he asks for a tablet and he writes down, his name is John. Because he believed now. Briefly, turn with me. Keep your place in John there. But turn with me to chapter 1 of Luke. Verse Seventy-nine. This is a place that I've just been speaking of, and and Zechariah, as soon as he writes down his name is John, he receives his ability to speak, and he starts prophesying. And in verse sixty-eight and sixty-nine, he says, "Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David." Zacharias was prophesying, seeing that this was the promised light, the promised son. That Isaiah foretold. Look down at verse 79 if you have any question. This is still his blessing. His prophecy says to give light to them that sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the way of peace. Zacharias knew exactly who this light was. His son was going to be the one to prepare the way. 
But he knew that he was the promised one that Isaiah talked about that would be a light to the people who walked in darkness. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Jesus Christ is that light. Jesus Christ is that light. And uh, again, lest you have any doubts today, we have all kinds of, uh, I'm not sure what you want to call it, um, technical stuff. And uh, we're more refined today. We don't go out and impale our enemies on spears. But guess what? Today's world is just as dark as the day of Assyria or the day of the Roman Empire. There's moral relativism. People are starting to say whatever goes is good. Whatever goes is good. The world is dark and it's not getting any better. You know, I read a couple months ago about a lawyer who wrote an opinion editorial in a newspaper. I don't remember if it was the New York Times or what it was, but basically she was making a case that pedophiles can help themselves and they should not be criminalized. Just this past week, I read an article about a, a professor in Sweden. And we don't have the time to go into all the details, but because of climate change and blaming humans and the population and, and burying humans and that, he was starting to advocate cannibalism. Can you believe that? Nothing is unimaginable anymore. This world is just as dark as the days of Assyria. I'm not making it up. It, I can give you the article if you want to. Now, this morning, I hope your life is joyful. I hope you have a wonderful life. But again, we're surrounded by darkness. And I guarantee, you know, Pastor mentioned last week, Suetonius and his account of all the Caesars and the debauchery that was taking place in their lives. And it's unimaginable. I read some of that. It's not something you want to generally read or give to children to read at all. I can guarantee all of that Suetonius talks about is taking place today. It shouldn't surprise us in Romans 1, God talks about the wrath of God is coming upon the world because of this. And he says that there's darkness and results, and it says that people get to a point where it says God will give them over to the reprobate mind. We're at that, fo- we're at that place. And darkness is wickedness. The light shines, Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, you may be here and maybe your life is a mess. Jesus Christ has the answer for you. You may not understand it all, but God's word tells us that if you call on him, he will come to you and rescue you. Ultimately, you will be saved that you will spend eternity with him. But immediately, he can help give you hope. He can shine a light in that darkness. Maybe today everything is good and you've realized that promise. And that's, that's tremendous. 
But are you sharing that light with some of your friends, those neighbors, those other people who are still in that darkness? They don't see a way out. They don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Let me, this is for everyone because we all struggle with it, but let me especially address the young people here because this is something that we struggle with. How close do you try to walk to the darkness? Now, you may not think of it that way, but you, you try to take on the world and, and all its fads and all its language and all its uh, music and everything. If we're children of the light, we should not walk in darkness. We should not walk according to the way of the world. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, What has righteousness to do with unrighteousness? What has light to do with darkness? Our counsel should come from God's word, from God's people, not from worldly music or friends who don't understand the Lord Jesus. As we close here, and I'm winding this up, Darkness is real. And one of the names that Scripture gives darkness is sin. And just like there is darkness around us externally, there's darkness inside. The Bible says that we all have sin. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of that sin is death. First of all, physically, but ultimately if we don't, excuse me, ultimately if we do not turn to Christ, eternally we die to him John 14 6 Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life I know it's been pointed out before but here again Jesus isn't saying I am a way he says I am the way he doesn't say I am a truth one of the truths among many he says i am the truth he doesn't say i am a life he says i am the life do you remember what john said back in chapter one or it says the light shineth in the darkness and it comprehended it not but it says that he was the light and life and it was the light of man Each one of us needs to come to a point where we make that decision. Just as Isaiah was speaking to the people in Israel and saying, there's consolation, there's hope, there's help, there's a light for you. John is saying there's a light for us, there's help for us. And each one of us needs to make that decision, come to that point. Whether our life is pretty good or whether we are struggling to make things go, whether we have the world falling down around us. Jesus is that answer. You know, it's interesting that in John 3.16, that verse we know so very well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. But just a few verses later, There's a reminder that says men love darkness because their deeds are evil. 
this morning as we go through the world, the dark world, John gives us the answer. He is that light. But in John 1.12, he says, But as many received him, speaking of Jesus, the light, the word that he's talking about, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Folks, this morning I trust that you already know him and that things are good. Doesn't mean everything's perfect. Doesn't mean every day is going to be the, you know, best day ever. <laughs> but when we have those struggles, when we have those times, we, we have him to go to. We have his word to counsel us and to help us through those times. Folks, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ this morning, I would pray that you would not leave this place before making that decision. The world's not going to get better. It's not going to change its ways. It's not going to get brighter and everything and everyone friendly and happy. And The world waxes worse and worse. But as Isaiah said, there is a light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is that light. And he's waiting on you. He's waiting to hear from you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word that gives us hope. That even in the midst of a dark world, we know that the Lord Jesus is there.